G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. On today's episode, we have Mel Gray or Mel Hunts on Instagram. How are you going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, really well, thank you. Sounds like you've had a had a busy day. Yeah, yeah. I um I got out before dark this morning into one of my usual, um, well, my favorite hunting spots and spent the whole morning um, covering heaps of country and uh so many sambra out and about um i was actually pinned by a mob of god four or five of them at one stage and um yeah ended up getting through them and uh you know cresting a ridge top and shooting a nice little stag so it was, yeah good day that's awesome to hear um yeah i've only hunted samba i think once and um well once over a period of a week um bloody cool animal yeah Especially when they start oh, sounding off. They're the, um, yeah, yeah. Well, they're um, they're the main species that I hunt because I'm I live like right in the heart of some of the best samba country. So they're available pretty much at my my back doorstep. And yeah, when I'm not uh, targeting other species in the rut, I pretty much just chip away at them and can't get sick of them. That's awesome. So are you uh, hunting public land or private land? Uh, mostly public, yeah. I've got a small collection of private properties, but I find that the better genetics are on public land. That's awesome. So good. So we'll kick straight into the questions. Whereabouts are you from? Um, I'm from northeast Victoria, um, near the border of New South, and I've lived here my whole life. Um, and, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's just it's close to just about everything. You know, it's a halfway point between Sydney and Melbourne and yeah, I've loved it. And the mountains, especially they're my favorite place in the world. So, so nice to be right near them. That's awesome. So you got a few species close by then, or you're driving a few hours to get in with stuff or pretty much everything's on your doorstep. Um, I've got fallow and amber immediately around me. But I don't tend to hunt the fellow as much locally because um, the areas that they they hold uh, usually just gets hammered, absolutely hammered. Um, hunting pressure is way too high. So for my fellow, I generally travel a couple of hours. But there's also red deer nearby, I believe. Um, the only issue with that is that you need access to private properties yeah. for them. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So Sambra, your favourite? species to chase by far then um i think it depends on the time of year like to me you can't get anything better than a ruddy fellow buck yeah um but yeah for for the most of the year samba yeah samba occupy most of my time that's awesome so what do you do for work um, I'm education support in a uh, in a school locally. So 
um, yeah, working in the education industry provides me with a really good work um, life balance. And, you know, I get the school holiday periods where I can go off and hunt. And it's great because um, that first lot of school holidays usually lines up beautifully with the fellow and red rut. <laughs> so, um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just ideal. And then the second holidays line up pretty well with the rusa rut. So I can generally get out and, and target those species in those two week periods. And yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I really enjoy it. That's awesome. How do uh, people that you work with in the education sector react when they find out what your weekend and holiday activities are? <laughs> uh, I've generally had a, a really good response. Um, you know, my, my students know that I hunt as well and they think it's great. Um, yeah, I, I can't say I've had anyone respond poorly upon hearing it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people that say, you know, oh, I could never do that. But they become really intrigued and really curious when they hear that I do it. And yeah. That's really great to hear. Um, complete mm. opposite to what you would you would think most of the reactions would be in that type of sector anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into hunting? Um. My father has always been a really keen hunter um, and, you know, I grew up seeing him go out and, and shoot Samber and, you know, go out after foxes and, and everything like that. But I didn't really get into it until I was maybe 19 and um, I was actually, <laughs> I was one of those uh, young teenagers that, like, I was the complete opposite. Um, I was into all the animal rescues and, you know, all oh, hunting is bad. And um, I was just, I don't know what I was thinking. But I, um, I started off stalking deer for photography purposes. Um, I bought myself a really nice camera and, you know, we've got heaps of really nice state forest around here that you can't actually hunt but they hold really good genetics. So I'd be going into those areas with the camera and I'd end up with some really good photos. And um, I also ended up going or well, spending a lot of time up in Kosciuszko National Park um, looking at the, the fellow populations around there. And, um, yeah, I guess I, I ended up going out hunting a few times with my dad and just really appreciating the process. And so... I slowly transitioned over to the rifle um, and, yeah, bought myself a, a Tika T3X Lite 308. And, um, yeah, I was I was pretty anxious around it to start off with. Um, I didn't have much confidence, but one morning I went out on my own and it was just the perfect setup. There was a, a hind and a yearling samba um, just out on some creek flats and – that yearling Samba, um, it ended up hanging back once its mother ran off and just honking at me for ages. So I, I took that opportunity to build my confidence and, yeah, shot it. And from there I've just been, you know, unstoppable. <laughs> I've been hooked. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, was that your first first deer or your first yeah. – yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was my first deer. That's so good. Um, and how long ago was that? 
Um, it actually wasn't too long ago. It was the start of 2021. Really, really, yeah, not not that long ago at all. That's no. awesome. No, not long at all. So, how long were you photogra- like photographing deer before you made the jump? Uh, about three years. Yeah. Yeah. So you really got a good chance to learn their habits and where to actually find them. So that would yeah. have given you a great jump. Yeah. 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 Well, it really helped me um, develop my stalking techniques and. And yeah, just being able to watch a couple of different species, um, it, I learnt so much. That's so good. Yeah, I remember seeing your photos starting to pop up on Instagram around around that time, and through yeah. Facebook and on a few of the hunting groups and the deer groups and stuff like that. So that was awesome yeah. to see. And then, um, yeah, I, I believe I remember you posting when you first got the rifle and um, yeah. when you first took one of one of the first deer that you got. So. No, that's just that's that's awesome to see that you've um, progressed from the animal rescue side of stuff into <laughs> <laughs> into photography and then jumped across to the hunting side of stuff. And you still keep up with your photography by the looks of it as well. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Um, I was doing calendars every year, which I've I've had to drop back on because the rifle hunting has occupied so much of my time. I just haven't been able to to take enough photos for calendars but um yeah yeah i still get out and take photos here and there you just need to do a, a meat calendar now yeah just, just different <laughs> different cuts and slices of meat <laughs> yeah yeah well the uh the problem with these cameras that i use is that they're so heavy and bulky and i can't carry them if i have the rifle with me it's just it's so impractical so it's got to be one or the other yeah, I, I could fully understand, especially in the terrain that you're hunting them in. It's a bit hillier yeah. than South Australia, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so gear run through. So when you're going out, what type of gear are you taking out? Are you just going out for a morning hunt, for a full day hunt? What's what's your normal setup? Um, so most of the time I just do like half day hunts. I'll, I'll get up early and head out um before dark but i always make sure to have a a decent backpack with me um and that's i use a hunter's element boundary pack at the moment um and so that's got the the hip straps and everything because i get sore shoulders um if i don't have a good backpack and i find that everything just starts to ache so i really need the weight distribution um and to be able to put heavy weight on my hips and you know work through my legs rather than straining everything else um but yeah the the hunter's element boundary pack um obviously my rifle the tika t3x light um i find that having a bino harness is really helpful so i use the marsupial gear um it's just one of the older models i haven't upgraded for a while yeah they're nice um yeah they're, they're super helpful um what else? What about binos? What binos are you running? Oh, they're just cheapo. Um, oh, God. I, I can't even remember the brand of them, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, they cost me about 250 bucks. I'm, I'm sure the brand will come to me. Vortex, soon. is it? No, no. Um, oh, jeez. 
No, I can't uh, remember. Oh, good. Are you... uh, but they work. They do the job. And they have for years. So, um, yeah, I like them. <laughs> I suppose when you got a camera anyway, you're just using the um, binos to locate them and then you're zooming right in with the camera anyway. Yeah, that's it. What about... Are you? Do you run a water bladder, or are you a drink bottle person, or? I just use drink bottles. Yep, yep. What about yeah. snacks? What type of snacks are you taking out with you? <laughs> um, my favorite snack for hunting is just a good old ham and cheese sandwich on white <laughs> bread. Um, <laughs> love having one of those in my pack. But normally, um, I'll take a banana and some protein bars as well. Yeah, nice, nice. Especially yeah. with the the type of kilometres that you're putting in by the sounds of it when yeah. you're getting out there. What about top beginner tip for someone getting in? Being someone who's fairly new into getting into hunting, what do you recommend, especially for a woman getting into hunting? I think it's just about spending as much time in the bush as you possibly can. Um, getting out, learning to read the bush, like familiarizing yourself with the local areas um, and just learning the noises and the sights, um, you know, being able to pick out sounds that are out of the ordinary. Um, yeah, the the movements of the animals, the areas that hold more traffic, uh, the areas that attract more deer and you know where their their bedding spots are um but on on the way of um yeah being a a female in the the sport um i've had a lot of people approach me asking how i do it alone and how i've gained the confidence and it's all just yeah spending time in the bush and and learning the bush that's awesome do you Mm. mostly hunt alone or do you have a few hunting buddies that you go out with? Um, I have a couple of hunting buddies that I catch up with, you know, a couple of times a year, Um, but it's mostly solo stuff. And, um, yeah, that's that's just the way I prefer it, really. Like, I I do enjoy going out with that select few people, but really hunting is a it's a therapeutic thing for me and I, I work in a school with people and I just I need that time to get away and to recharge and yeah, it's the the solo stuff is where it's at. Ah, completely understandable. What about cuts of meat? What cuts of meat are you taking when you're you're going out? Because it sounds like you're going a decent way in and mm. weight weight's always always a, a problem. What what are you taking? Backstraps, legs? just as much as um, you can when you can take or yeah yeah it depends on what it is and obviously where um so the stag that i shot this morning he was you know over a hill and up the next hill and uh, a, a long way in so i i boned out one of his back legs and i took his back straps and i took his head yeah, um and you know being a, a samba stag that's <laughs> that's pretty much all i could manage um but if it's fallow or the smaller species, I'll take three legs, back straps, heart. Um, yeah, it all it all depends. How often are you uh, eating venison? Most days. Most days. Awesome. Yeah, I um, and my dogs eat it too. But I'll I'll cook it up for meal prep for my lunches at work, and yeah, I, I get plenty of it, so I eat plenty of it. 
Nah, that's awesome. What about favorite thing to cook with venison? What's your what's your go to meal there? Um, schnitzels are probably my go to, but my favorite would be um, shanks, and I cook them up in an osso sort of recipe. Um, so that's usually white wine, garlic, chicken stock, and uh, passata, and then I slow cook it for seven hours. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that's one of our Monday go-to dishes is just venison yeah. in the slow cooker, chuck a bunch yeah. of curry sauces and spices and that in the morning and then get home and, yeah, it's you can't beat it. Yeah, yeah, and the, the shanks, you know, I used to just cut the shanks up for dog food, but since I've started eating them, like, I, my dogs are not getting them at all, <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, shanks are definitely one of my favourite cuts as well. Um, yeah. Uh, because the countries that are the country I hunt, I can pretty much get a vehicle to wherever I shoot a deer. Walk back to the car, drive in, grab it, and I I pretty much take out the whole whole animal. So yeah, it's 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 good being able to take out the whole animal because then you get to utilize those cuts. Um, yeah, being in Australia for overseas listeners, you know we don't have because they're an introduced species. We don't have to take the meat if we can't or if we don't want to i know how that sounds for some people but you know it's just how it is with deer populations in australia um and someone like yourself is getting out so much you know you can only utilize so much venison as well and you're doing doing a good conservation thing by take taking numbers off of the um landscape as well um what about taking the the meat to work are you sharing some of that meat with people that have never tried venison um we've used it once in a cooking lesson um we we made schnitzels well my students made schnitzels with it uh just so that they could have a go at trying it yeah cool and yeah they really liked it but aside from that no, I'd usually just take it from my own eating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely understandable there. What about top five beginner items for someone getting into hunting? Um, I reckon bino, harness, and obviously the binoculars. Um, like I mentioned before, a good pack with a, a good frame and hip straps in it, on it. Game bags. Game bags go a long way. Uh, especially if you're hunting in summer and there's insects everywhere. Is there any type of game bags in particular you're running? I use the Argali game bags. Um, I've got the bigger pack at the moment and it's worked beautifully for the Samba. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, they're great. Um, But, yeah, a good knife. Um, Can't do anything if you don't have a good knife. (laughs) What knife are you running? I've got, at the moment, um, I've got a Tassie Tiger, um, yeah, Tassie Tiger fixed blade knife that they gave me, um, and that's been absolutely stunning. Uh, It's just, it's also just a really nice looking knife, (laughs) but it's worked really, really well. Um, I used that on my big Samba stag that I got a couple of weeks ago, uh, caped out the whole thing, butchered him up, and yeah, it was, it was great. Um, I also use a sword boning knife, which has been awesome. I've had that for years now, and it, it was my go-to. Um, but, yeah, those two are the, the main ones. 
Yeah, sweet. Um, yeah, and then obviously the fifth item is just good boots. You know, you got to look after your feet. What boots are you running? Um, I was using Hunter's Element boots, um, but I've just purchased a pair of Zambalans. Yeah, nice. Um, I've, I've got to wear them in. I haven't yet. I was going to wear them on my hunt this morning, but uh, I hadn't worn them in yet, so <laughs> I need to get that done. But I've heard really good things about them, and I'm pretty impressed so far. Uh, and, yeah, looking forward to wearing those and on future hunts. How are you going about wearing new boots in when you, you get summer? Are you just going on short morning trips or are you just wearing them around the, the neighbourhood for a week um, or so? Yeah, probably just wear them around the joint. Very nice. Yeah. What about zombie apocalypse weapon? I, <laughs> I haven't asked this one for a couple, of, a couple of episodes and a few people are like, where's, where's it gone? Where's it gone? So I brought it back for you. <laughs> um. I actually had to really think about that one. Um, I reckon a spear because they keep you outside of a zombie's, uh, you know, range. Um, you can make one from pretty much anything. Uh, they're reusable and they're silent. So, yeah. That's yeah. A definitely definitely an out-of-a-box answer. That's, we yeah. haven't had that one yet, so that's, that's really yeah. good. <laughs> so... What about what have you forgotten on a hunting trip? I have forgotten water way too many times, and it has landed me in some pretty uh, pretty rough situations. I just like, given that I use the water bottles, they're not as easy to remember as the bladders because yeah. they're not just a natural part of your pack. So, yeah, I've I've taken them out of my pack and forgotten to refill them or forgotten to put them in and i've ended up yeah dehydrated and just feeling real crook after my hunts yeah that's that's never fun yeah. i've been there a couple of times and yeah i i have a what a three liter um water bladder in my pack and i always yeah. carry another liter drink bottle as well with some electrolytes and that in my bag so just in case you know something happens yeah. you can always rehydrate and a couple of times i've been hunting with a couple of mates that have gotten water so it's always good to have that that little bit of extra in there because they're being yeah. quite crook afterwards by not having no good but um because i take melody hunting with me um yeah my golden retriever uh i tend to remember it a lot more in in the cooler months because uh, I have to look after her. And, yeah, it's it's during the summer months when it's really important and I don't have her with me uh, that I, I tend to forget it. <laughs> so do you take a bowl with you as well, or like a collapsible bowl for her to drink out of? Yeah, yeah. I went and bought one of the, the collapsible, I think it was a coffee mug from Mansfield Hunting and Fishing a while ago. And so that's just sitting in my pack at all times. And uh, for those that don't know, what type of a dog is Melody? She's a golden retriever. Golden retriever, awesome. There will be a few few listeners of this podcast that are and previous guests that would be pretty happy to hear that. So, yeah. <laughs> Daniel, yeah, I'm talking yeah. to you. <laughs> he's he's yeah, golden well, retriever uh, nuts. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely not a not a dog breed that you see in the hunting side of things as much anymore they're utilized more just as a family dog but 
they've got all the potential in the world for it. And Melody loves hunting. Um, the moment she sees my camera gear come out, she's she's drooling. She won't leave me alone. <laughs> and how are you using her when you're going out? Because there's you know so many different breeds. Um, I'm not sure what what the types of breeds that are regulated for different types of hunting over there. How how can you use a golden retriever for deer hunting? Um, the breed is listed as one of the gun dogs that you can use in Victoria. And originally I was just taking her out just for the fun of it, you know, just as a companion to tag along. Um, I had her in the heel position at all times. Um, didn't want her going out in front of me. I still don't really like having her too far in front of me, but she has learned all on her own that the smell of Samba means that there's likely going to be some fresh meat to eat. <laughs> so if she smells them and they've only just crossed through or if she knows that there's one ahead, she will really slowly move ahead of me. Um, you know, she'll only go about 20 metres in front of me, but she's actually started indicating them. Um, especially the last six months, I've noticed her indicating a lot more. And it's not pointing to the level that, you know, uh, your GWPs and GSPs or your English pointers do, but um, it's it's her own way of doing it. And, it's you know, she's locked on, her ears are forward, she's standing really rigid, and she loves it. That's great. Just She's so good. I'm really impressed with how she's how she's gone have you done apart from just going out and spending time in the field have you done any training whatsoever with her to get her somewhat uh, hunt ready all of the deer related training has been purely just exposure in the field um but i started her really early on foundation obedience and so that looked like uh you know, taking her out in the local bushland uh, when I was trail running and having her off leash. So getting her used to all the commands and um, teaching her boundaries. And I have a heap of release commands that work just as well as, well, work just as well in avoiding, um, you know, having her chase wildlife or anything. So um, she learned that she wasn't to go after any other wildlife unless I told her she could. And obviously wildlife, I didn't want that anyway. Yeah. But it's it's more useful doing that than teaching them not to chase at all, you know, letting them know that there is a time and a place and it can be done um, on command um, rather than just cancelling it out entirely. Um, and that really played into the whole deer side of it. So... Uh, I'll take her out deep into the bush and she knows to leave everything that we see unless I tell her it's what she needs to go after. And in, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's generally just the deer. <laughs> um, and she's she's been really good uh, for blood trailing as well. She just, yeah, she's awesome. That's great to hear. What about getting her used to the gun? How have you gone about that? Um. Again, just exposure, really. Uh, I think she's she's perfectly fine with my rifle and the sound of it, but I know with uh, bigger calibers um, and rifles with uh, muzzle brakes, um, she's not 
particularly keen on those because they're, they're much louder to her. But the moment that my rifle goes off, she starts, like, whimpering and drooling and she's ready to go. She knows that it, it's time to, to go find. Um, and that's her command, go find. So, yeah, she, she loves the sound of my rifle. It's just <laughs> that whole reward process, I guess. <laughs> that's awesome. Did you have any issues getting her used used to the gunshot to start off with, you know, cause you hear stories of, you know, someone shooting, shooting with the dog for the first time and them taking off miles. Yeah. No, I guess, um, she, she trusts me a lot. I'm her safe space. So, uh, her first reaction to anything that makes her fearful is to come to me. And that's, yeah, that played in, um, well that, yeah, that worked to my advantage really well so yeah no issues that's awesome what about the most important item you take out with you hunting um i reckon knives knives like you can't do anything if you have a downed deer and you don't have knives yeah so (laughs) um yeah yeah you'd, you'd be pretty well stuffed what about with first aid stuff, especially when you're taking out Melody? Are you taking out any extra first aid stuff in case you run out, run into snakes and that with her? Or um, I have a first aid kit and a snake, necessary snake bite kit in my bag at all times, but I'm yet to have any sort of need to use them. Um, we do run into snakes quite a fair bit, but I've done. Well, I haven't even done snake avoidance training with her. It, it just comes down to her knowing to leave those things alone. Yeah. Um, and she's, she's been spooked by them before. And, um, again, she just came straight to me. That's great. It's better to yeah. have them and not to, not to need to use them anyway. Yeah, yeah. What about, are you taking any, um, like, emergency beacons out with you or...? I have an EPIRB yep. in my pack at all times, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Yep. Just in your pack or do you have it um, like easy easy reach or? It's in the top pouch of my pack, so it's it's really easy to get to. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, I've never had to even get it out of there. But, you know, obviously there might be a situation in future where I need to and it should be a good spot for it, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, again, one of those those objects is better to have and never to use than not have and need it. <laughs> I've yeah. uh, just listened to, again, um, Meat Eaters, um, Close Calls um, audiobook series that they have, and it's four, about four and a half hours, I think, of um, yep. stories of people that have had close calls, but like all close calls is in almost death where they've, you know, yep. there was one lady rock climbing and she fell down a cliff and, you know, she's gone to pull out her EPIRB and it's ran out of bat- battery as she's using yeah. it and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh. <laughs> God, that would have been terrifying. Oh, definitely, definitely. What about the most dangerous, sketchy thing to you that's happened when you've been out hunting or out in the bush? Um, I'm pretty lucky in that I haven't really had anything too sketchy happen, but if I was to name one, it's probably 
uh, a recent goat hunt that I went on in a in just these sheer cliff faces. So I think the recovery of two goats that I shot was was pretty hairy. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously the the whole mob of them they were just uh, on these these cliff faces overlooking a massive river, and um, I've made the the decision to shoot two of the billy goats in that mob. And one of them just rolled straight down and caught itself on a fallen tree. And navigating that cliff face, um, it, it was it was pretty scary. Uh, but yeah, nothing nothing more really that I've encountered that put me on edge. Um, yeah, that looked like a cool hunt. Um, was that your first goat hunt? It was. Yeah, it was. Um, I ended up shooting three billy goats from that mob. And, yeah, it was amazing. It was was a really, really cool experience. And just having them, you know, run from one end of the cliff face to the other, you know, back and forth and being up, well, I ended up getting on top of the hill there and looking down over them. And you could really just run from one end to the other and pick them off as they (laughs) went. Um, it was, it was invigorating. It was <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> it's amazing how well they can use that real cliffy, cliffy country. It's, it's insane. Yeah. You know, Definitely my, up there. my bread and butter hunting is, is goats with a, with a bow and yeah, yeah, just navigating through the hills and how quick they, they, um, just maneuver through it. But then, you know, mm-hmm. just coming back from New Zealand and watching tar maneuver through, just 10 times worse stuff than that. It's just insane yeah. at how well they, they, and how easy they make it look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty amazing. So what went into um, organizing your goat, goat trip? Was it far from you, much planning, public land? Um, it was about a, a five hour drive. Um, I'd been invited to a private property up towards Bathurst. Um, and yeah, the, the whole idea of the trip was to hunt rutting fallow, but there were goats and pigs there as well. And it was like just a end of a long day heading back to camp at, you know, two in the afternoon and just came across this mob. So it was just an opportunistic type thing. Yeah. Beautiful. That's, that's so good. Did you get onto many fallow while you're up that way? Oh, heaps. It was just out of control. Some really, really incredible rut displays and rut action. Um, yeah, things that I hadn't actually witnessed before. So cool. it, was, it was really good, yeah. Yeah, that's. it seems like an incredible um, area. Two of the past guests are from that area, Brett Meldrum and um, Cody Giron. So that's, yeah. it's yeah. cool seeing, seeing the uh, variety of game they get on in in that area that's for sure yeah it's definitely a hot spot there's um awesome animals did you get onto any pigs while you're up there then i bumped into a few but i didn't shoot any have you hunted pigs before because there's a few kicking around in victoria yeah there's um there's actually a mob of them or a population of them on the mountain right behind my house but um I have only bumped into those ones when I've been walking Melody without the rifle. <laughs> Always <laughs> and then each the way. Time, 
gone in with the rifle. I haven't seen them. Yes, it is always the way. <laughs> um, but I shot my first pig um, in March this year uh, when I was up towards Tamworth um, for the – it was another fellow rut trip. trip. Um, it was this big, spotty Razorback boar, and just the size of him was amazing, like absolutely insane. And I, I shot him once perfectly in the shoulder – and he dropped, and then he just got straight back up and, and started to move again. So I had to put another round into him, and that took him down. But, yeah, having a look at him up close um, and, you know, feeling the, the shoulder pads that I, they have, um, yeah, big appreciation for them. Um, I, I hadn't realised that they were that cool, and <laughs> they're... <laughs> Yeah, real, real interesting animals. They are. Um, you know, I haven't actually ran into a live wild pig in Australia yet. Um, I've shot a big big sow in New Zealand, um, a big boar in Mexico and a couple of um, young ones and, uh, yeah, shot one with a bow as well. But, yeah, it's the same thing. Shot it, you know, I was, I was probably 35 yards and pinwheeled it straight, straight center in the middle of the shoulder and, he dropped down and I got up a little bit too fast to celebrate and he just yeah. stood back up and both legs pinned and just went straight through into the cactus. And I spent yeah. the next, you know, three, four hours crawling through the cactus with javelina mm. and all sorts scooting through the cactus and I'm following drops of blood and, yeah, unfortunately couldn't find him. But it just shows you oh. how tough of an animal that they are. Yeah. Oh, they're super tough. And yeah, those pads are... Pads are insane, but, you know, mm. depending where you are, um, the young ones we shot in Mexico, we cooked them up and ate them, and it was some of the best wild game I've eaten. But, you know, no, it just, dep just depends on where you shoot them here in Oz, whether you yeah, should yeah, eat well, them or not. I, I wouldn't consider eating the ones up near Tamworth at the moment because the feed is so poor. Um, I think they're, they're eating a lot of carcasses at the moment, so it's just... Yeah, not, not worth it. Yeah, you definitely don't want to risk it with the the different diseases that they can carry, that's for sure. Yeah. What's the funniest thing that's happened to you out hunting? <laughs> um, it wasn't so much during a hunt. It was more a photography sesh. But there's a, there's a local recreational reserve near me that um, it holds a good population of fallow deer. Uh, and I could see a mob of them uh, about 200 metres away, and so I was stalking in on them, and I just found a nice little sheltered area, and I sat down and I tried calling them in with doe calls. And, um, yeah, sitting there trying to see if anything comes in, and just a, a dude walking his dog walks straight in, gives me the weirdest look, you know, just a... Just a chick sitting in some bushes making mewing sounds. Um, <laughs> With it was, a big camera. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting. <laughs> it was, it was quite a difficult thing to explain to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that'd be the craziest thing about Victoria. You know, being from South Australia, we don't have public land, so you yeah. know, you're only hunting private property. So when you do go over to somewhere like Victoria or you know, where I just come back from New Zealand, 
like running yeah. into other people while you're out there and you've got, you know, I, I know you were just photographing it, like taking photos, yeah. but, you know, having a rifle with you when you're just running into someone that's out there doing something else, it's yeah. it's pretty confronting for, for both of you if you're not used to it. <laughs> it can be, yeah. What about top five dream animals? Um, the top of my list would be seeker deer. And I'm trying to tee up a New Zealand hunt sometime in the next couple of years. Uh, I feel like they're somewhat achievable. They uh, are amazing. I've hunted them, haven't killed one. But, yeah, just the terrain that they live in and just the sounds that they make while they're roaring is just incredible. Yeah, I, I remember hearing some audio of some roaring stags that you, you played on a previous podcast. Yeah. And they sound a lot like the yellow-tailed black cockatoos we have hanging around here. Yeah, they. I've, I've got beautiful. the audio here. I'm not sure if yeah. you will be able to hear it. But, yeah. They... Yeah, they do, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so seeker deer, then Bulgarian fallow deer. I don't know. Like, just I've seen so many videos of, um, yeah, the populations they have over there and the, the herd genetics yeah. and just... They seem incredible. I'd really love to go after those. Um, a mountain lion. I'd love to go after a mountain lion. Um, not so much bailed up by dogs. I know the it's a it's a popular method of hunting them, but if stalking is a is a possible method, I'd love to do that. Yeah, particularly hard, um, but yeah, the the dogs seem to be the most effective way. But listening, yeah. on, there's a few great podcasts. Um, I reckon Ben O'Brien has covered it a couple times on his his podcast and just listening to the method of them, how they do it with the dogs and how they work the dogs has um, made me go from wanting to just hunt them spot and stalk like yourself to, yep. you know what, I'm, I'd probably hunt them under hounds. So yeah, okay. like learning more about how they do it and how the dog yep. work and how they pick up the scent depending the different environment that they are is, um, yeah. yeah, pretty cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, cool. Um, next one, caribou. I'd like to go after a caribou, but he's got to be a, a bull with, um, you know, double shovels. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to go after one that doesn't have two of those shovels. Um, and then chittle deer. Yeah. Like, I've, I've hunted chittle a couple of times. I got my first one, uh, which was a, just a hind, um, over with Hainsey. Yep. Um, and I've shot a, a young spiky as well, but I'd love a big chittle stag. Yeah, I I can understand why. That was mm-hmm. when I when I hunted with Hainsey, I definitely had my eyes out for for a, a hind or um, a spike or something like that. Same with Rusa. I had had my eyes open, but yeah, you were down there just a, a probably about a month before I was down there, so. Um, oh, yeah. The the story was stories were pretty ro- rolling and fresh because Hainsey just had hunters rolling through from yeah he helped out a lot of people. Oh, it's it's, it's insane. Hainsey's such a good dude. Yeah. <laughs> so you've yeah. eat, you've tried a few different species of deer. What's been your favourite so far, and how do you rate each one? Um, I reckon the best eating deer i've tried has been um, i'm looking at him now red stag um early rut you know just 
still still good amount of fat on him. Um, wasn't super tough, but really, really flavoursome. Just heaps of flavour. Um, so, yeah, reds would be up the top of my list. I, I've thought Chittle maybe as number two, but I find that uh, a lot of people rate them really highly, but I find they're actually um, – they just they don't have much flavor to them, and I think that's why people like them so much. Um, they're really tender, but not a heap of flavor. So um, probably second spot would probably just be Samba, Samba Deer. Yeah. Then then Chittle, um, then Fellow and Rusa. Um, although the, the Rusa stag that I got a couple of weeks ago, he's been awesome eating. It's just with them, it can really depend on where they are and what feed they've been in. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say about the red stag cause reds and fallow, uh, tend to be one of the lowest rating eating, eating deer. Um, but I quite rate reds and fallow for what you were saying, being that, yeah. you know, more of a real venison, venison flavor, you know, real strong. And as yeah. you said, with Chittle, um, they tend to be quite mild. And I mm-hmm. found hog deer to be much like that as well. It's a very, yeah. very mild flavor. Like there's next, well, hog deer, there's next to no flavor whatsoever. It just... It's very, very bland. But that's why I reckon hog deer is usually the most rated eating species of the venison we have here is because they're so bland and, you know, people don't like that strong venison. So I I tend to be very similar to you. I I think I've tried everything but Rusa so far. Um, Okay. And, yeah, you know, reds and fallow are up the top and... Hog deer's closer down to the bottom just because they're so bland. I know that's going to be an unpopular opinion, but... <laughs> I think most people tend to go off um, the texture of them rather than the flavour. Yeah. You know, if it's tender, then it's the best. Um, but it doesn't bother me how tough venison is. Um, it's it's definitely the flavour, I reckon. But it's like, um, you know, everyone says that the younger animals are better eating. But the younger animals haven't developed that flavor yet. So. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly. I was, um, I had a very similar discussion with Ben Solaris. Um, I'm not sure if you've listened to that episode, but he added something that was quite interesting. Um, the Europeans, like Germany area, they tend to like rutting red stags and fallow yeah. because they like that real strong flavor and that chewiness and stuff like that. So it's just. I I wonder if like because I've got German German heritage I wonder if that's you know drawbacks from that from just yeah. that that European region that people have and then people that don't like that that real strong venison flavor they're not from those parts of Europe that that really enjoyed them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What about best hunting story? Um, best hunting story. God, there's so many. <laughs> um, probably from this year's rut is one of the most one of one of my favorites. Um, I watched uh watched a really really nice fellow buck get shot um up the top of a, a huge hill. You know, he had 
um, eyes on every sort of approach. And, um, yeah, walking back from that, um, I could hear a couple of bucks um, nearby start croaking. This was probably about midday. Um, and I went off and pursued them because I hadn't I hadn't shot anything myself that morning. Um, and, yeah, I, I walked for ages because they were – you know, a few few systems over, a couple of hills between us. Um, and I managed to get into the area that they were holding. And it, to me, I thought for a second that it was a bit of a lek, but there were only only two bucks actually in there, but they were going off their heads. There were scrapes everywhere. And um, I sat down in a spot that I thought was close enough but not too close to draw the attention to me, and I just gave a rattle. Um and, yeah, so one of the croaks sounded pretty good, but the other one was, like, it was the sort of sound that made you think that that's a big deer. Um, and I, I waited after rattling and nothing happened. So I started to mess around with my backpack, strapping the rattling antlers back to it, and I was on the ground. My rifle was about a metre away from me. And I finished strapping the antlers to my pack and I look up and there's a buck standing there looking at me about seven <laughs> metres away. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, and so I, I reached for my rifle and the buck flinched but didn't run. And so I managed to put a round into him. Um, and he was quartering too. So um, it was a bit of a, a, a risky shot, I guess. He was almost front on. Um, and he, he ran and I put another shot in him on the run and he just went straight down. Um, but yeah, I, I dealt with him and, and strapped him to my pack and everything. But this other buck that sounded, that, that I said sounded huge, he was still going, you know, even after the shot and everything, he was still going. So I thought I, I, you know, I'm out here already. I may as well go and have a look. And I stalked around for a bit. And um, I managed to find where he was holding. There were does everywhere. I could see him just running back and forth. And um, I was in a, an area where I was pretty exposed, so I didn't like my chances. But um, I was down down pretty low too, and the buck was up above me on the next hill. And he was just inside the tree line, and I couldn't couldn't get eyes on him. But I could hear him when he was croaking. I could hear him moving back and forth. Um and so I just I watched the area, and he moved on to the next hill face. So I went up, got on his level, and just started, like, really slowly following in behind him to see if I could get eyes on him. Um, and I did. I, I saw him. I could just see he was a, a mental, so a really light coat. I just got a glimpse of him servicing a, a, a doe, um, and he was great. He was <laughs> fucking awesome. He was a really, really good buck. Um, so I thought, you know, I'm going to try and get him as well. Um, and I ended up getting pretty close to him, but a chocolate doe stood up from a bed and started barking at me. And so everything just went silent and all the deer left. They just <laughs> they ran. They were gone. I thought, you know, it's, it's about one in the afternoon by this time. So I thought, nah, I, I may as well just leave. <laughs> and um, 
I turned around and started to head downhill so that I could get back to camp. Um, and as I was walking downhill, I heard some movement in front of me and I noticed a spiky walking up. It looked like he was walking up the game trail to me. And so I got my camera out, oh, I got my phone out and started filming and he stopped coming up towards me and he veered off to the right and it, he was sniffing at a, a doe. And then up jumped the buck, that, like the big buck that I'd been chasing about 30 metres in front of me and started to chase the spiker off. <laughs> oh, no. So he stopped perfectly broadside and I was able to put a round in him too. Oh, beautiful. Um, and I thought there was this big, big patch of black breeze and it was like a, there was a washout underneath it and I thought he'd gone in there. So I spent ages like looking under it and I couldn't see him and I was getting sticks to try and move the blackberries. And I, I couldn't see anything. But I, I circled around and went uphill a bit. And it turns out I had put my pack down and walked straight past him. <laughs> walked, he, he was down and like he, um, he went down straight away. So there was no movement to go off to, to tell me where he was. Um, but yeah, the two, two bucks in the space of like through oh, probably three hours or so, but yeah, really, really nice bucks and just a really rewarding time. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. So do you cape them out or do you just head, head skin them and take the skull or what's, um, I try to take as much of them as I can. I caped out the bigger one because um, his his mantle coat was just gorgeous, really really pretty. I yeah I I couldn't leave him. Um, but the other one I just I took for a euro. Yeah, beautiful. I see that yeah. you've for the listeners you you know you've got a fallow rug right behind you it looks like there might be two two yeah. there on the couch there's behind a, you and you've got a couple of reds and yeah yeah it's a fallow rug and a chittle skin the the chittle that i got with hainsy is underneath it beautiful um but yeah i just got a couple of casties cast antlers um sitting on the couch beside me so nice do you have any yeah. taxidermy or i've got three deer on my walls at the moment there's a my first Samba stag, um, my reds, well, my first red stag and my first fallow buck. Yeah, beautiful. Um, but I've currently got four deer at the taxidermist. And That's expensive. <laughs> it's very expensive. I need to, I, I don't see myself getting anything else taxidermied for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got a, a my Rusa stag is at the taxidermist. My, um, Samba stag, my velvet Samba stag is, and then my two big fellow bucks from last year are there. That's awesome. So, from my count, you've taken five of the six Australian species. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, awesome. That's yeah. I just need to get a hog deer. Taken, taken five of the the six species in a space of what two, two, three years. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with it, but um, I I still need to get a, a decent chittle stag. Like if you're really going for the stag grand slam, yeah. um, I'd need to get a chittle stag for the wall. But um, yeah, I've shot just a couple of meat models of those. But yeah, hog deer. I think hog deer will be a big focus next year. Beautiful. Yeah. Do you put in for the um, hog deer ballot? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. 
Awesome. And yeah. how long have you been putting in for that for? Um, just two years. Two years. So, yeah. Still got to, you know, you could draw it next year or, you know, like like one of the um, guys that I hunted Snake Island with, it took him 20, 25, 30 years to draw. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, well, um, my brother actually got a spot. Um, he was supposed to go last year. Last year. He got first period, I believe. Um and that was purely because he was an emergency contact and enough people pulled out. Yeah. But he ended up having to pull out too. So oh, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, one day, one day it'll be my turn. <laughs> oh, it was, it was my biggest fear because, you know, I had New Zealand planned for my 30th this year. And yeah. being the end of March, mid-April is when I wanted to go, go to New Zealand. And I'm like, what's the bet? I draw the hog deer ballot either just before I'm about to go away or why I'm meant to be away and what happens I draw it you know a month before I'm heading off so going from organizing one big trip I had to organize two and organizing Snake Island is just there's so much that goes into it it's definitely one of the hardest hunts that I've had to like New Zealand was easy organizing compared to Snake Island (laughs) yeah. <laughs> it's just completely different. Have you actually gone and like taken photos transport, of like, like boat everything, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You have to get over there by boat and take all your stuff yeah. for being there up to um, you know five days. So it's just incredible. And then when you shoot something, you know, because the time of the year when I drew, it's still you know twenty twenty five ish degrees. And if you shoot something, yeah. you want to get off the island pretty quick so the cape doesn't spoil and the meat doesn't spoil. You know. You've got yeah, the opportunity. Absolutely. You've got the opportunity to take two deer, but you know, by the time you get one down, you just want to get off the island and um, get it checked in and get it caved out and all the meat saved and yeah. and then getting. Got it. Definitely the anxiety going. <laughs> oh, it, it sure does. You know, seeing a couple yeah. of the guys, they they lost majority of their meat and almost lost their capes, uh-huh. and it was you know just you know if you shoot it in the morning, you've got. To you've got all day to get it out, but it's it's hotter. Where if you shoot it at night, you've got all night to get it back to where you need to to get back yeah. out on boats. So it's just a yeah. social social drama. But you know, yeah. it's one of those those hunts where if you're lucky enough to draw it, that's one of the things that you have to keep in mind that it's a good good chance that you could lose your cape and your meat from it. So yeah. it's something you've mm. got to keep in mind. Have you actually gone and like taken photos of hog deer or? Um, no, I haven't. I've I've taken photos of one of a captive hog deer, but um, I guess that sort of area it's it's quite difficult for me to get to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I haven't put in much time at all. I'd like to start scouting out um a couple of the public spots. Um, a bit before next season, and so if I do that, then I'll I'll take the camera out. But no, I haven't haven't really been down there much. Yeah, if you should definitely try and get out to Snake Island because anyone can go over there at any time of the year. So oh really? Yeah, you you don't like you can't hunt it, but you can yeah. go over there. You can kayak across. You can you know there's people that ride horses across and all of that type yeah. of stuff at low tide. 
And if you know anyone with a boat in the area, it's, you know, only a 10-minute boat trip from um, okay. Port Welshpool. But, yeah, you yeah. can go over there and take photographs all year round and yeah, wow. all of that. So it's, yeah. it, it's something cool to to go over if you want photos because it will give you yeah. an, a good understanding of what they are and how they yeah. move. And, yeah, there's just some cool terrain over there, that's for sure. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that. So how do you see the public views on hunting and hunters? Um a lot of a lot of mixed opinions on it, but definitely uh, a lot more people are becoming accepting of it. Um it seems like now that a lot of people are becoming really concerned about the environment, um they're wanting to get into hunting and uh, harvest their own meat and steer away from farmed meats. So, yeah, I I think a lot more people are accepting of it. And when when do you feel that change has taken over the last couple of years from, like, say, the start of COVID or...? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's that, a, definitely yeah. an uptick of uh, people getting into into hunt, hunting and looking into getting into hunting over that 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 period um it was just insane whether they were at home and just seeing a lot more of it on social media and watching meat eater and stuff like that and just the you know the decline in food in supermarkets and um yeah it was definitely definitely crazy do you have many people hitting you up to ask asking them to teach for you to teach them or uh yeah yeah, I, I get quite a few, I, I get quite a few inquiries. Yeah, um, and it's it's tough because I don't know how to politely say, um, you know, no, I I, I kind of need it for recharging my batteries and, um, yeah, like I I love I love that other people are wanting to to get in with it and and get on board, but. Um, yeah, I feel that if too many other people uh, come along on my hunts, it tends to be more of a social focus and um, there can be really uh, unrealistic expectations too. Yeah. Um, I find a lot of people, be, well, you know, they see that I do take quite a few deer um, and then they think that I can instantly get them onto something. <laughs> um, but it's it's definitely not the case. Yeah. Um it takes a lot of time and like, like I, I'm out in the bush a lot. So, you know, I might only have about a, I guess a 30% success rate, but I'm just, I'm out all the time. So it might seem more than that. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's one of the yeah. things with social media, you know, you post, you're posting your successes, but you're not oft, often posting your failures up. So people are only seeing, you know, you going out and shooting stuff and they're not seeing the amount of times that you've gone out and not shot something. Yeah, yeah. But you have to be able to go out and just appreciate the bush and appreciate the time out anyway. Like oh, it's, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Definitely not all about just shooting. No, no, it, it definitely isn't. It's a, it's, it's a very peaceful thing to be out there. And like you said, yeah. it recharges the batteries and just resets everything. Yeah, so how would you change the public views on hunting and hunters? Um, I guess just really focus on the benefits. Like there's there's so many positives to it and 
Um, yeah, I think when anti-hunters think of hunting, you know, they're, they're straight into the, the negatives, you know, it's all the, um, you know, you're, you're killing a, a poor innocent animal, but there's so much more to it. You know, it's it's better for the environment. You're removing a, an introduced species. You're helping the native flora and fauna. Um, and yeah, just just talking about the benefits. Yep, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And what is hunting to you? Um, I've, I've yeah spoken about it a couple of times, but it's just it's it's therapeutic. It's um. You know, the, the Australian bush is a magical place and um, the the process of it, you know, being able to go out and read the areas and locate these animals um, and sometimes just sit and watch them and appreciate them, it's, it's just, it's nice, it's therapeutic, it's, um, yeah, it's it's beautiful. It is, it, it sure is. <laughs> So just other than the deer that you run into, what are some of the other critters that you run into that you like to take photographs off when you're out or? Um, there's been a couple of areas that, uh, you know, the, the recreational reserves that you can't hunt um, that hold feral goats nearby or, um, yeah, I guess couple of different natives like reptiles i really like taking photos of snakes um and it's probably a, a, a risky thing because you know i'll get all up in their space and <laughs> like lay down on the ground with them to get get to their level for the better photos and um yeah yeah i think the reptiles are definitely the ones i like the most that's awesome yeah i, I love running into snakes and lizards I'm not one to pick up snakes, but lizards, uh, I, I can't walk past the lizard and not pick them up for a cuddle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, they're pretty cool. They are, they are. So if people have enjoyed what they've heard tonight, where can they find you on social media? And um, I operate mainly through Instagram, and that's just Mel Hunts. Mel, full stop, Hunts. Um, I, I do have a Facebook page and everything, but nah, the Instagram is, is the main avenue. And then what about Samba hunting Victoria? <laughs> um, yeah, so that's Samba hunting Victoria is operated by, uh, Edward Carter. <laughs> um, and it's just a, a little hobby business. Um, and he, he you know, wants to get, <laughs> Uh, wants to get more people enjoying the sport because it's it's something that we have available to us in Victoria and a lot of people from around Australia come to Victoria purely to enjoy. Yeah. And it's a way of, yeah, connecting people. And, um, you know, his Instagram page is Samba Hunting Victoria um, and he's been sharing photos from multiple other hunters that have taken nice samba or, you know, just the, the field shots, um, showing some of the country that is involved. Well, you know, that you find samba in, um, and yeah, it's, it's growing rapidly. So more people down. And what about, um, where can people keep an eye on your calendars and stuff like that? Do you sell prints as well or just calendars? Um, It's all, done to order 
Um, I haven't done the calendars for a couple of years, but I'm hoping to get more of them done soon. Um, and, yeah, I guess they are just made to order. Yeah, if, if someone wants a photo printed, then they'll do it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, uh, that's great. Well, thank you for very much for coming on tonight. I really appreciate it, and I hope everyone's enjoyed learning a bit more about you. And you know, I'm sure majority of people have seen your your photos floating around on on Instagram, whether it's your photography or your hunting stuff. So, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a it's been an enjoyable thing to be a part of. Nah, not a problem. Thank you very much. Right. See you later. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. Please head over to our social media and give us a follow. Instagram at Hunting Connection Podcast, Facebook at Hunting Connection Podcast, Twitter at Hunting Connect, TikTok at Hunting Connection Podcast. If you've enjoyed, please share with your friends and family, tag us in your photos and videos on social media, Subscribe, rate and review to help grow the podcast. If you're interested in giving additional support to the podcast, you can head over to our podcast Patreon page. Thank you very much for listening and catch you next episode.